Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. A couple of months ago, I was flicking through the TV channels uh, one evening and uh, I I saw a TV show that just like stopped me in my tracks. I was like, oh my goodness, what is this? Looked exactly like X Factor, you know, with comp- singing competition with judges and all, except that the person singing at the front was dressed up as a giant teddy bear, right? And I was like, what on earth is this? And the interesting thing was that the person was a really good singer. Like they could really sing. They were just dressed as a teddy bear. And I was like, what is this? Oh my goodness. So I kept watching. Next contestant to sing was also dressed up in another crazy uh, costume. And after a bit of research, looking around, I realized what I'd stumbled across was a new TV show that had come to the UK a few years previously called The Masked Singer on ITV. Anybody ever watched The Masked Singer? We've got a few people. Anybody like The Masked Singer? A few people like The Masked Singer? Okay, fine. Tom likes The Masked Singer. Throwing that out there. Just want everyone to know that. Um, <laughs> I, I thought it was the craziest looking thing I've seen on TV for a long And everyone's taking it really seriously. And I'm like, it's a teddy bear singing. And everyone's like, ooh, right, really listening. And now for those of you who haven't watched The Masked Singer and are like, what is this? Well, basically, what they do is they get a celebrity, dress them up in a mask or a complete costume so you can't tell who it is. And then that celebrity sings a song. And then a panel of judges have to guess from the song who this celebrity is. And there's a few other clues as well. And then the point comes in the show where the mystery is revealed and the celebrity lifts up their teddy bear mask or whatever it is and reveals who they are. And everyone goes, wow, I didn't know they could sing so good. And everyone's like, oh, like that. That's basically how it goes. Well, this morning, uh, I want to talk about a mystery being revealed, just like a mystery is revealed in that. But it's a different kind of mystery. It's a more serious kind of mystery. It's a more important mystery. And it's not revealed by, um, you know, a celebrity taking off a teddy bear mask. But this is a mystery that's revealed through Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're continuing our, our Together in Christ sermon series, which is going through the book of Ephesians. And the passage we're going to look at this morning is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, which basically shows us what this mystery is that has been revealed in Christ. Now, we're going we're gonna to read through the passage, but before we get stuck into the passage and find out what this mystery is, let's just get up to speed with where we are so far in, in this series. Now, Paul uh, wrote this letter of Ephesians in 60 AD to the Ephesian church, which he'd started seven years previously. And by the time he wrote this letter, he was under house arrest, uh, awaiting trial in Rome. And he starts off the letter in chapter one by reminding the Ephesian believers of the great blessings that they now have now that they're Christians. They've got forgiveness, they've got adoption into God's family and loads more awesome stuff. I won't bore you with it. It's not boring, but I'm not going to go on about it. Loads of stuff. Then in chapter two, he reminds them of what God has done by saving them and how amazing that is and how Jews and Gentiles, which is just another word for non-Jews, that's us, are now brought together in Christ. And then at the start of chapter 3, it looks like he's finished and is about to wrap things up and pray. You know, that's how we always do things with Christian things. You want to wrap something up, you pray at the end. And everybody knows it's done. So he's about to do that. He's about to wrap it up and pray. Um, But then he stops, like kind of mid-sentence, and then says... 
13 more verses of stuff before he actually prays in verse 14. So this passage we're going to look at this morning, it's, it's almost like Paul was like, he said all he wanted to say, and then he's like, ah, just one more thing. And this is the just one more thing passage. You ever had that? Where you've said everything you want to say to someone, and you're done, and then you remember something. You're like, oh, just one more thing. Well, that's what this is. This is the, the just one more thing, 13 verses in Ephesians. So that's the passage. Let's read it together. Ephesians 3, verses 1 to 13. It says this, For this reason I, Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. So this is the point where he's just about to wrap it up, and then he thinks, okay, I've got some more stuff to say. So then he continues, verse 2. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has, been, has now been, revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel... The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of, in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings, which are your glory. So there you have it, mystery revealed. And I just want us to look at two things before we finish. Firstly, what is the mystery that's been revealed? And secondly, what do we do about it? So what is the mystery that's been revealed and what do we do about it? Okay, so firstly, what's the mystery? Well, we all love a bit of mystery, don't we? Who still doesn't love a good kinder, kinder egg? I, I still love a kinder surprise. You know, I, someone gave me one recently, and I was like, I know it's a little cheap plastic toy that I'm not going to use or not going to like, but I, I want to know what it is, you know? And, and the chocolate, there's not much of it, but it's like, ah, oh, it's a surprise, you know? Surprising little chocolate. Yeah, surprising how little chocolate is. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, we all love open birthday presents, don't we? I mean, I was at a birthday a few weeks ago, and someone was opening their presents, and even though they weren't mine, I was like, I'm quite enjoying seeing what presents are here and what they're going to get. I'm sure many of us love a good kind of murder mystery TV series. Anyone like Inspector Morse? Morse, we've got a few Morse fans. Anybody, you know, going a bit further back, anybody like Poirot? Poirot, yeah, we've got a few Poirot fans with a little moustache, you know, rolls his moustache when he's trying to think of who's done it. Anybody like Columbo? Yes, love Columbo. Columbo's kind of like the Apostle Paul in the sense that every time, yeah, you're thinking, okay, how's he like the Apostle Paul? Every time Columbo went to investigate something, he'd always, just as he's about to leave the room, he'd say, just one more thing. So he'd always do that. And that was when it was killer line. And that was when he would would find out who it was. Um, But yeah, but there's something exciting about a mystery being revealed, isn't there? And in verse six, we see God revealing his mystery here to us, which is, if you have a look at verse six, which is that through the gospel, 
The Gentiles are now heirs together with Israel, members together with one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So that's it. That's the mystery. Basically, we, Gentiles, non-Jews, can now become part of God's family through Jesus' death on the cross. Now, you might be thinking, that's not much of a mystery, you know? I know that already, you know? I've, I've heard that many times. We hear that a lot, you know? I, mean, I know I can, if I trust in Jesus, I can be saved, I will become part of God's family. But back then, this was huge. Back then, this was big news. You know, way back before Jesus in Old Testament times, it was just the Israelites that could be God's people. And even in the early days of the church, just after Jesus had gone back to heaven, the message of the gospel was preached only really to Jews. But now Paul says it's going out to everyone. It's going viral. Now, this was always God's plan, but he had kept it secret for a long time. And we've been let in on the secret. You know, all the big names of the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, weren't even let on this, in on this secret, but we've been let in on it. You know, they, they were waiting for the Messiah to be king over Israel, but they had no idea that he would be king over all people, over all nations, and save people from every nation to become part of his people. That would have blown their mind. They had no idea of that. They could never imagine that people would worship their God from every nation, not just Israel. They could never have got their heads around the fact that people in a place called Manchester, in a place called England, neither of whom they probably heard of, would have one day be worshiping their God. I mean, this would have blown their minds. This mystery wasn't revealed to them, but it's been revealed to us now. And it's great news, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It gives a good, mm-hmm. yeah, it's great news. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen, yes. We need a second one just to get it there, yeah. Now, the revealing of this mystery, that people of all nations can now become part of God's family through the gospel, I think it leads to two things. Firstly, it leads to humility, and secondly, it leads to community. Now, you know, as Westerners, we can often feel a bit superior to the rest of the world. All right? Now, you might, not, you might say that, you might admit that, but subconsciously, we often do feel a bit superior to the rest of the world. We're wealthier, we have better education, we have better job opportunities, the list is endless. And that can lead us to feel a little bit superior. And you know, that attitude can creep into our churches. You know, we, we can develop this attitude of, you know, we know how to do church right. You know, you guys, you've got to do it like this and this and this. You know, you've got to start at a certain time. You've got to have a certain number of songs. It's got to be a certain length. Your preachers have got to be a certain length. Um, you, you can, I mean, you can, everybody knows you can only worship God on an acoustic guitar. There is no other instrument that is allowed. You know, it has to be laid on an acoustic guitar. Uh, you know, we've got to be using Hillsong and Bethel songs. They're the only people who can write them. And CCM now. But apart from that, you know, there's, there's almost like a kind of, there's a way of doing things that's, that's so natural and second nature to us. We just think that is just the way to do church. And we almost kind of think everybody else should be doing it like this. And if they're not, that's not good. Well, interesting little thing is that, um, interesting little fact I heard, was it a few weeks ago I heard this, was that um, the West is pretty much the only part of the world where the church isn't seeing rapid growth. And yet the West is where all the church growth programs come from. 
You know, all these kind of like, you know, do this program and your church will double in size. You know, they, they kind of market this to pastors. And it's almost like the West, the Western church is, is trying to teach everyone else how to grow churches. And the rest of the world is like, oh, we don't have that problem. You know, we, that's not an issue for us. You know, you're right, you can keep your whatever, how much money you got to pay for this course. We ain't got this problem, you know. In the West, we can just start to feel a little bit superior to the rest of the world. And that can creep into church. But verse 6 here shows us that we've got absolutely no reason to feel superior. Why? Because we're not the center of God's plan. You know, God didn't come for Western Europe and then decide to add everybody else in. You know, he, That's not what he did. He came from the Israelites, his people. They were his focus and we get added into his plan of salvation for them. Okay, so we're the add-ons. We're the plus ones. You ever get invited to a party and you get a plus one? We're the plus ones. That's what we are. So it's great that we get included into God's plan of salvation, but it's not all about us. And that is very humbling. Okay, so this mystery leads to humility, but I think it also leads to community because we can often approach our faith in quite an individualistic way. You know, we can talk about how Jesus died for me, how he's got a place prepared for me. You ever heard that little thing where it says, if you were the only person who ever lived in the world, Jesus would still have died for you? Yeah, I get that and I agree with it, but it's, it's quite an individualistic way of thinking about it. It's, it's about me. And, and these things are all true, but it's easy for our faith to become all about me and what God can do for me and how he can meet my needs. But just contrast that with what it says in verse 6. It says, we're heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharing together in the promise of Jesus Christ. Three times he mentions the word together. And not just together with Jewish believers, but with believers from every tribe and tongue and nation across the globe. You see, this mystery shows us it's not all about me primarily. It's all about God saving a people and, and, and bringing them together. Bringing a people together, members together of one body, sharing together in the promise of Christ. Okay, so it's, it's not about God doing something for me. It's about me being brought into what God's already doing. And that's a key gear shift in how we view our faith. Okay, so... The mystery, that's the mystery revealed. Uh, the mystery is that people of all nations can now come together as God's people through Jesus. And that leads to humility. That leads to community. But secondly, what do we do about this? What do we do about this mystery revealed? It's like, okay, great. That was nice. Thank you, Andy. What do we do about it? Well, we share it with everyone. That's probably not a surprise to anyone here. You know, that's what we do with good news, isn't it? You get any type of good news, you want to share it. You know, someone, I don't know, gets engaged. You know, people will share pictures of a ring. You share that news. Someone gets married, there'll be pictures of the wedding. Someone gets baptized, there'll be pictures of that good news. Someone gets pregnant, there'll be pictures of little shoes or whatever. When we get good news, we share the good news. Yeah, in various different ways. And just like people who get good news share their good news, we're to share this great news with whoever will listen. And that's, that's what the Apostle Paul does. 
Paul says in verse 8 that his life's mission is to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. And like Paul, we're called to make this mystery known. That's the church's job. That's the prayer that God had for the church all along, uh, that the church will spread this secret until it's no longer a secret. But then verses 10 to 11 take it to the next level. It says this, God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, what on earth does that mean? This is often, you know, a few verses that when you preach in this passage, the preacher will conveniently, you know, skip over, hoping no one will notice because there's loads of other stuff there. What does it mean that we make known the wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms? Have we done that recently? Want to give us some advice on how you did that? Everyone's looking at the ground. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, basically, this is, it's not something we talk about much, but there is a spiritual world. Angels, demons, there is a spiritual world. And our actions in this world are witnessed by them. You know, our actions in this world affect not just the here and now, but they also have an impact on the supernatural world too. Okay, so when we live for Jesus, when we pray, when we read our Bible, when we resist sin, no other human may see us do these things, but the heavenly realm will see it. And when we do these things, it's a witness, not just to people here on earth, but it's a witness to those in the heavenly realm too. That's what this is all about. So, What I'm sure we all agree with on this is that the mystery that's been revealed here, uh, we shouldn't keep it out to ourselves, but we should share it. But what happens when we do share this message? Well, when we do share this message, we, we may face opposition and hardship, just like Paul did. Now, I'm sure most of us are aware that Paul faced opposition when he, he shared the gospel. I'm sure we all have have heard that. But what's less commonly known is that the opposition which came from the Jews, who, who most of the opposition Paul faced was from the Jews, the opposition that came from the Jews wasn't so much to do with Paul's teaching on sin and judgment, but was because he taught that the Gentiles get included in God's plan of salvation. That's what Paul got most grief about. That's what he faced most opposition about. Okay, so Paul actually had to flee from Jerusalem in 37 AD because the Jews there tried to kill him. Why? Because he was preaching that the Gentiles could get saved. Ten years later, in 48 AD, he's chased across Galatia by another group of Jews who were jealous. Why? Because he was telling the Gentiles that they could get saved. That's the thing that they had the biggest problem with in his teaching. Two years later, he was attacked by another group of Jews in Macedonia for exactly the same reason. He was telling Gentiles, non-Jews, that they could be saved. And then he's also attacked by another group of Jews in Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, because he had an Ephesian friend, Trophimius, who was helping him share the gospel. But he wasn't Jewish. And they had a problem with this. He had a non-Jew helping him. And he got attacked for that. So this is why in verse 1 of our passage, Paul says, I'm in prison because of you Gentiles. I'm in prison because of you. He's saying the persecution I'm receiving is because I refuse to back down from saying that people of all nations can now be brought into God's family through the gospel. That's why he's in prison. 
And you know, when we stand up for this today, we too may face opposition too. I was talking to a pastor a while back who leads a church in Greater Manchester. His church has about 40 to 50 people, older people, mostly white, fairly middle class. And about three or four years ago, um, essentially over, over, over the course of about a year or two, 50 young immigrants from the Middle East who'd moved to this country started coming along to this guy's church. Loads of them got saved, got baptized. Their language wasn't great, but they were learning English, learning English through reading the Bible. I mean, it was a great thing. But the 40 people who were already in the church were a bit like, this is different. This is, this is not the church we were used to. It was, it was quite difficult to find points of connection with a lot of these people were very young, 20s, 30s. They were a lot older, the people who were in the congregation. Um, they would have to have translators in the church a little bit. They would sing some songs that weren't in their own language. And numbers of people came to the pastor and said, I don't like this. <laughs> I liked my church before. This is different. I don't like this. And the pastor, I mean, the pastor was getting grief for it. He was having a hard time over this particular situation. You see, when we remain committed to people from all nations being brought into God's family through the gospel, we may face opposition. But if we push through that, what we're going to start to see happen is we're going to start to see multi-ethnic churches. Churches that have people from different nations and are fully integrated together. Now this, this is very difficult. You know, it, it's much harder work to connect with and build community with people who aren't like you. You know, just think of it. When, when having people from church over for dinner, it's so much easier to have people over who are the same culture as you. So much easier. It's so much harder to have people over who aren't, aren't, aren't so like you and, and aren't the same culture as you. And, and when that happens and when we don't have people, what ends up happening is you can end up having two more groups of people forming in the one church and they nod and smile at each other on Sundays and everything looks okay, but none of them have been into, inside the other's house. You've just got two groups. And, and that's, why, that's why there are lots of monoethnic churches in our city. Churches where everyone is from one country and speaks the same language. But this makes these churches very unlikely to connect with the people of the city they're in and doesn't reflect the all nations together aspect of the gospel talked about here. Now, numbers of people at CCM have, have come to CCM from mono-ethnic churches. Churches that same, everyone's from the same place, same language. And, and, and the reason why they have left these churches and come to CCM, and I know this because I've, I've asked many of them, is because, number one, they want to go to a church that's in English so that they can invite their work colleagues and friends along to church. And also, they want to worship in a church that has people from all nations in it, not just one nation, right? But all of them will say that it is much, much harder work connecting and building community with people that are not like you, that are not part of the same culture as you. So much harder work. Okay, so they realize this is what we've got to do. This is the right thing to do, but it is hard work. So much easier to be in a church where everyone's from the same place, speaks the same language. But when we do intentionally go and connect with people of other cultures, it's a beautiful picture of the togetherness that Paul is talking about in this passage. People from all nations being made into one body in Christ through the gospel. I remember uh, 
we used to have our, we started Lady Barn, kind of bringing shares way back at Lady Barn, way back in the day, didn't we, Jamie? And I remember some of the times there, you just had so many different people from different nations, and they'd all bring a dish from their nation. There was so much food, food that you, like, had no idea what it was, and I'm just like, you know what, I'm going to eat this anyway. It's, I don't know, and I, but it was, it was beautiful. It was so good, and it's just such a beautiful picture of what's being talked about here. People coming together, eating together, foods from all different nations. And so much so that, um, oh, I'll let you into a secret. You may not know this. Uh, Colin is having a retirement party on the 14th of August, Saturday 14th of August. Now, even though Colin's not retiring, he wants a retirement party because Colin just wants to have a party, basically. He's not actually retiring. He's kind of going from full-time to part-time. Apparently, that warrants a party in Colin's eyes. So he's going to have one. It's going to be at Ladybourne Community Centre. Everybody from CCM is invited. And we said, look, Colin, what do you want? He says, I just want people to bring food from every nation that's represented at, uh, at CCM, and we're all just going to meet and eat together, and we're going to throw a bouncy castle in as well. That's basically what Colin wants. So that's Saturday afternoon, 14th of August. You're all invited. But I was just thinking, it, it, I mean, it's, it's such a beautiful picture of what Paul's talking about here. All nations coming in, worshipping God, eating together, and that's what we want to see. That's what's, what it's all about. So the mystery that has been revealed is that people of all nations can now be brought into God's family through the gospel. And, and we're to share that and live it out. And when we do, we will possibly face opposition, but we will also start to see churches where the nations come together, united in their love of Jesus. And that is incredibly countercultural. And it's such a beautiful, almost heavenly thing to see in action. But there's, there's one other thing this passage says we can now do because of this mystery that's been revealed. And that's that we can now, through faith in Jesus, approach God with freedom and confidence. I don't know if you noticed in in Exodus 3, Moses meets God in the form of the burning bush. And he's there and God's in front of him in the form of the burning bush. And God says, don't come near, Moses. Stop Don't come near. I'm holy. You're not. You can't come near. And then contrast that with Hebrews chapter 4, which says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See the contrast there? So there's an invitation for us to draw near. And that comes because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Dying so that our sin, which was a barrier between us and God, could be taken away. And so that we could approach God with freedom and confidence. Isn't that good news? Yeah. I heard a story once of a a young soldier in the Union Army in America during the Civil War. And he found out that his his dad and his brother had been killed in the fighting. Just his mum and his young sister left. And he realized he needed to get home to the family farm to plant the crops so that they wouldn't starve. But the only person who could exempt him from military service was the president, Abraham Lincoln himself. So he went to Washington, D.C., and he walked up to the White House. In those days, there wasn't a big fence around it. You could walk up right to the front door. So he walked up to the front door, was about to go in, and two officials stopped him from going in and said, what are you doing here? He says, I I want to talk to the president. He says, the president's much too busy to talk to you. Go on, get back to your regiment and fight like everybody else. So the man walks down the road and walks into a park and sits on a park bench, completely dejected, not knowing what to do, puts his head in his hands. He's completely the end of himself. 
doesn't know how he's going to help his, his mom and his, his daughter because he can't get out of, of the army. And just at that moment, little boy, little 10-year-old boy walks up to this man and says, hey, what's, what's up? What's wrong? And uh, the soldier shares with the little boy about how he can't go home and help his mom and, and daughter on the farm plant the seeds because he can't get, he can't get released from military service because the president is the only one who can do that. And he can't get to see the president. The little boy just looks at him and says, come with me takes the soldier by the hand, walks him back towards the White House, not the front door, they walk around to the back door of the White House, still holding his hands, he walks through the door, walks past the guards, past the generals, past all the high-ranking government officials, walks up to the, the cabinet room where, where inside the president is. He doesn't even knock the door, he just pushes the door open, walks in, and there is Abraham Lincoln standing at the end of a big table with his secretary of state and his generals reviewing battle plans. And Abraham Lincoln looks at the little boy and says, Tad, what can I do for you, son? And he says, Dad, this man needs to talk to you. And Abraham Lincoln took the soldier, they chatted, and he was exempted from military service. You know, that's just a, a picture. That's the, that's the confidence with which we can approach God through Jesus. Like that little boy walking straight up to his father, the president. That's how we can approach God. That's how we can approach God.